Let's turn our Bibles to Luke 7. Luke chapter 7. Because God's Word is holy and infallible and sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting even to the bone and marrow and even to our very hearts. Because it has God's authority, because it is given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let's stand and give honor to the Word of the Lord and give honor to Him as we read together Luke 7, starting at verse 18. Now, it says, The disciples of John reported to him about all these things, summoning two of his disciples. John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he, that is Jesus, cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messengers ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Let's pray together. O oh, Father, we thank you for this, your holy word, and we ask that you would help us to gain assurance of our salvation that Jesus Christ truly is the coming one, the one promised from long ago, the Holy Messiah, the Savior, and even your Holy Son, the eternal God made flesh, and our Savior. But we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever had doubts about some central matters concerning your faith? There's something I learned in seminary from one of the professors, and I'm going to try to see if I can break this little statement down. But according to the Westminster Confession of Faith and our Westminster Standards, what they teach is that and having an absolute assurance is not the essence of saving faith. What, I'll try to unpack that a little bit. 
You don't have to be perfect and have a steadfast, unwavering faith to be saved. Because we're not saved by having an absolute assurance. We're saved by having what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. We're saved by Jesus dying for our sins and being raised from our sins. Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father and Jesus making intercession for us. And we know that God hears us when we cry out to him through Jesus Christ our Lord. However, I do believe the scriptures command us to pursue after a greater assurance of salvation. And I am confident God wants each and every one of you to have a greater assurance of your salvation because he has given us this passage, among many others. But this passage is an excellent passage to help you grow in your assurance of salvation. And the reason I say that is because even John the Apostle, one of the greatest, I'm sorry, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, the prophet of old, who was the one who had been promised from long ago as a voice crying out in the wilderness, John the Baptist struggled with assurance that Jesus was the Messiah. But we have some answers that Jesus gave unto him. And we'll look at those a little bit. But let, before we do that, let's turn back for a little context by looking at Luke 3 to get a glimpse of John's ministry. Luke 3, starting in verse 3. Speaking of John the Baptist, it says, He came into the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And in verse 10, And the crowds were questioning him, questioning John, saying, Then what shall we do? And he answered and said to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. Um, And some who were tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, What about us? What shall we do? And they said to him, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely. Verse 15. Um, Well, he says, Be content also with your wages. Verse 15. While the people were in a state of expectation, all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. John answered and said to them, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So here, John himself and his preaching is pointing, not to himself, but he's pointing to the greater one, the one who is going to be greater than him, and, and as we look at today's text, we're going to get some beautiful answers concerning questions that John later had while he is suffering in prison. The main focus of today's text is that you are to put your faith in Christ to be great. Um, you might say to yourself, well, I'm not 
destined for greatness. But you are destined to pursue after greatness in God's sight. Not in man's sight, but in God's sight. And there's four uh, points to this sermon. John's question. Christ's answer. John's greatness. And each believer's greatness. So let's look first at John's question in verse, verses 18 through 20. The disciples of John, this is back in Luke seven eighteen. The disciples of John reported to him about all these things. What things? The miraculous healings that Jesus was doing. He just healed the. the he just raised the widower's uh, son from Nain from the dead. So the disciples of John reported to him about all these things that Jesus was doing. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying. Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? When the men came to him, to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? Now, why was John sending messengers in the first place? Now, we know John was sending messengers in the first place because he couldn't go out and ask Jesus himself, because John was in prison. If you look back to Luke 3, it's because of the treachery of Herodias um, and John rebuking Herod because of Herodias, his brother's wife, um, and because of the other wicked things that Herod did. That is why John was locked up in prison, according to, to Luke chapter 3. That's why he sent these messengers. Now, as we look back in, in the beginning of of Luke 3. There's also a passage in Matthew 3 I want us to turn to. Matthew 3 that speaks of John's preaching in maybe a little bit more vivid way of what his messianic expectation was. Now this is preaching that is inspired by the Holy Spirit starting in Matthew 3 verse 10. John is speaking of the coming Christ. He says, The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you uh, with a holy, the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that sounds like a pretty mighty Messiah he's expecting. He's expecting maybe the Messiah, and this is true, that what Jesus is going to do, but maybe John was expecting some of this in his lifetime. Maybe he was expecting the Messiah to put an end, put an axe to some of those, those evil rulers, such as Herod. But what was John doing? Messiah came. John's in prison, languishing away. So you can understand, you know, wondering, well, why, if Messiah is here, God sent his holy Messiah, powerful, almighty Messiah, why am I still in prison? Why is Herod still in power? And you get doubts. 
And that's why he asked this question. He says, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Um, in the New King James, it's more literal to translate it as the coming one. Now, why do we have expected one? Well, the reason he's described as the expected one and they translate it as the expected one is because he was long awaited, long expected. How long, you might ask? Well, look, I have two passages here in your outline. God told the serpent all the way back in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And then again in Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses said by revelation of God, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. So this holy Messiah is promised all the way back in Genesis, all the way back in Deuteronomy 18. He's promised throughout all of the prophets the long-awaited, long-expected coming Messiah. But John has doubts. Are you the coming one? Are you the Messiah? Or are you not? Is basically what he's asking. Or do we look for someone else? Well, let's look at Christ's answer. Christ's answer next. Before Christ said anything, he started by doing something. Uh, Before answering a reply, he gave an answer by his action, you could say. Look at verse 21. At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. I'm pretty confident that John's Disciples had never seen wonder-working miracles like this. This was the first time they had witnessed this in that measure. So you could say here what Jesus is doing is that Jesus is giving an actual demonstration to show them, I am the Messiah. So having given this, this living, physical, supernatural, miraculous demonstration of an answer, he then gives them a verbal answer. Look at verses 22 and 23. Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the deaf and the dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now, I am confident that when John heard this, He remembered the words of Isaiah because he preached these very words earlier, as if you didn't catch it. But I want us to turn to a couple of passages in Isaiah. Isaiah 35. And we know that John was familiar with Isaiah because he preached through Isaiah. But uh, Isaiah 35, starting at verse 3. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf 
will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. Let's turn then to Isaiah 61. Verse 1. This is a verse that Jesus attributed to himself when he preached in his own home synagogue. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, when you read the words anointed me, what does Christ mean but anointed one? When we say that Jesus is the Christ, he is the anointed one. He has sent me to bring good news. In the Greek, the good news is euangelion, which is the word from which we get the word evangelize. Jesus was evangelizing and preaching the gospel to the afflicted, to the poor. And this is the answer that Jesus gives to John. John, you know what Isaiah says. I am the fulfillment of what Isaiah says. I have done these things. And one passage I want us to look at next is John chapter 10. Turn to John 10. John chapter 10. This is a passage where Jesus is talking with some unbelieving Jews. And says in John 10, 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life to them and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, when Jesus says this, they accuse him of blasphemy because they say he's attributing himself to be God. And look at what it says here in verse 37. Skip to verse 37. Jesus says, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Jesus is saying, you don't believe what I'm saying? Believe what I do. You don't believe my words? Believe the works. The works demonstrate that I am He. And that's what Jesus is telling John. And I am confident that John believed and was assured that Jesus was the Messiah and his Savior before his head was taken from him. Let's look next at John's greatness. Jesus here then, going back to Luke uh, chapter 7, Jesus then goes on to acknowledge the popularity of John and how the crowds were motivated to go see John. 
verse 24, John 7, 24. When the messengers of John had left, he began speaking to the crowds about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in, in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, one who is more than a prophet. I think some people went out to see John because he was a spectacle. He was a sight to see. He was like the reed shaking in the wind. Something kind of exciting. Kind of reminds me of that movie, uh, The Greatest Showman. You know, people go out to see something new and peculiar and different. Maybe they were going out to see John for the sake of entertainment, sake, something peculiar, because John was a rather different man, um, living in the wilderness, eating locusts and wild honey, dressed with a leather belt around his waist and camel's hair. He was definitely a sight to see. And I can be, huh, I'm pretty assured that John's preaching was exciting. If you read John's preaching, you could testify to that. But getting past this spectacle of the, how John was different in this way, Jesus says John's greatness was because he wasn't just a prophet. He was more than a prophet, according to Jesus. Now, the Old Testament prophets of old spoke of Jesus to come. They prophesied his coming. Some said that he would come in Bethlehem. Some described that he would be a suffering servant, like Isaiah describes. But here we have a prophet who is the last prophet of the Old Testament, you could say of the Old Covenant. He's the last prophet of that Old Covenant school. But he's different because he's testifying and making the way ready for Jesus. He's introducing and preparing the way of the coming Messiah. That's why we could say that he was more than a prophet. Here Jesus cited Malachi 3.1 when he said in verse 27, This is one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. John was one who came about and had a duty to proclaim Jesus as Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. John also proclaimed that Jesus was the Lamb of God who would take away our sins, that Jesus was the one who was the fulfillment of all of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Every drop of blood spilled on those altars pointed to this Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. It was told that John would be mighty, that he would be a mighty man of God, as they told his parents. But the greatness of John was in his message in preparing the way of Jesus. That then leads us, as we look at John's greatness, to then observe each believer's greatness as Jesus taught. Jesus said, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. 
So again, John was great because he had the Holy Spirit from the womb. And the angel told his parents that John would be a great prophet. We want to turn to Luke 10 to show that why John's greatness is kind of, you could say, overtaken by the greatness of the believer. Luke 10, 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan from heaven fall like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So they were to be considered great because their names are recorded in heaven. But also, Jesus goes on to say that a believer, each individual believer is great because we have been given a greater privilege of greater revelation. Look at verses uh, 22 through 24. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. How can we be greater than John? Well, it could be in the measure that we're given a greater privilege of revelation. John, along with the Old Testament prophets, saw the Messiah in types and shadows. We are given a glimpse of Jesus clearly. We can see him in a vivid picture. They saw him in dreams. They saw him in visions. Yet they were at the same time saved through that revelation and saved to those ordinances and sacrificial system that pointed to him But we have the fullness. We don't have that Old Testament sacrificial system. We have the Lamb of God given already for us. Are you great? You're only great in God's sight if you have received the greatest revelation given unto mankind that Jesus Christ The eternal Son of God came into the world to save sinners. If you believe that and receive that, you are greater in privilege and greater in this wonderful thing that has been given to you in the revelation of God through Jesus Christ. But if you have not received Him, if you have not believed in Him, you are not destined for greatness. You're destined for an eternity of shame and pain and suffering for forever and ever. Unless you repent, you will never be great. But if you do repent and believe and receive Jesus Christ as he has been revealed to you, you shall be given greatness in God's kingdom. Again, put your faith in Christ alone to become great.
John's question was one of doubting. Jesus gave an answer to build his assurance, and I believe he did. John was the greatest among men, but we are told that each believer can have greatness. You can have greatness because you have been given the greatest revelation, but you must trust and believe it to be saved. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to not seek after the greatness of what the world says or what the world thinks to be great. Help us, we pray, to have that greatness in your sight, that we are those who are beloved from all eternity, that we are those who have been saved through a miraculous work of your Son, that we are those who have been given greatness because what you have done for us in giving us your only begotten Son. We thank you, O Father, that even though many prophets of old and even kings like David wish to see the things that we see, we thank you that you have given us this greater revelation, this full revelation of who your blessed Son Jesus is. And help us to rejoice and to embrace him with saving faith. Work in us by your Holy Spirit. Build us up. Help us to believe the person of, of Christ to believe in his works, to believe in his word, to trust that he is not only the Messiah, but he is our Savior. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to 275 and stand and sing, Arise, my soul, arise. It's